Amen. I hope you take your Bible to the book of 1 Kings this morning in the 18th chapter, the 1 Kings in chapter number 18. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther said, I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, if I profess the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking. I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at the point. I say to you this morning that there is a war going on in the world today for your body and mine. We remember from last week our bodies were created by God and they were created to reflect God's goodness and God's grace and glory and even the express image of God is though vaguely seen in us. Sadly, however, we are adopting two false theologies. First, last week we have allowed ourselves to believe that our bodies are to be despised to be condemned. But the Bible says that our bodies bear the mark of God's image and that through the image of God, our bodies may partake in the creation mandate. And we discovered the creation mandate was God's commandment of us to bear children who may also bear the image of God. And in these bodies, we labor and work. And third, we rejected the idea of the Gnostics which suggested that matter is evil and spirit is good. Paul addressed this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and here's what he says. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Notice, for every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Paul says of that early ideology that all matter is evil, he says that God's world was originally created to be very, very good. The second lie I want us to expose is that we have made the mistake of assuming as we read our Bibles that the word flesh in the Bible is always synonymous for the body. In other words, we have applied flesh theology to body theology, and we produced really bad outcomes. Now, I think I can pretty safely assume that you understand what the body is. If you think you have a pretty good idea of what your body is, will you raise your hand? 
All right, if someone did not raise their hand beside you, can you kick them in the side really quickly and they'll immediately discover that they have a body? Can I get an amen? The body. The body. But the Bible also talks about the flesh. The flesh. What is the flesh? I've been working through a book that was recommended by a friend entitled Lifetime Guarantee. In it, Bill Gillum defines the flesh this way. He said the flesh refers to the old ways or the old patterns by which you have attempted to get all your needs supplied instead of seeking Christ first and trusting Him to meet your needs. May I just say, those ways in which we seek to satisfy our flesh are founded early in life. Do you remember the children of Israel when they embarked upon the journey to Canaan land? None of them had ever been to Canaan land. None of them had experience with all of the intricacies of the religion of Jehovah. But they knew that they had been set free. And as they get into the wilderness, it it seems like every time trouble arises in their lives, every time a need arises in their life, every time there is a a crossroads at which they don't know where to turn, as you've read their wilderness wanderings, they, they always desire to go back to the old life, to the old way, to the old ways and patterns in which they, they sought to fulfill their needs outside of the person of Jesus Christ. I quote from Numbers 11 verse 5 as, as a way to illustrate this. They said, we remember the fish. Now they're talking about Egypt. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our, what's the word? Our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. What was manna? The psalmist said it was angel's food. It was the provision that God daily made for His people to have food in the wilderness. And when they got tired of God's provision, when they got tired of that which God daily gave them, they they reached back for the old ways in which they sought to satisfy their flesh. That is what I'm talking about when we use the word flesh. The Apostle Paul in writing to the Ephesians said this in chapter 2 verse 1, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Hear this. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Pastor Mark Bubeck said this, The flesh is a built-in law of failure, making it impossible for natural man to please or serve God. It is a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall, which which expresses itself in general and specific rebellion against God. The flesh can never be reformed. It can never be improved. The only hope for escape from the law of the flesh is its total execution and replacement by the new life that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Paul says to the Roman church, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to satisfy the lust thereof. The old man, the flesh, is dead indeed unto sin, but we as Christians are alive unto God. But we've made this mistake of thinking that every time the Bible uses the term flesh, he's talking about our physical bodies. And the problem with that is that if we accept this, that matter is evil and spirit is good, we're prone to two realities. First, we're prone to what we call asceticism. That is, that is extreme self-harm or extreme self-denial. Gave the illustration last week of, of the man I saw years ago in the Philippines who was seeking to, to serve God and he built a huge cross of 100 or 200 pounds and he nails himself to the cross and carries about that cross through his homeland. And though that, that might be a very noble thing, that act in and of itself does not necessarily bring him closer to God. Or... If we accept that matter is evil and spirit is good, we are guilty of what the Bible uses as the word licentiousness, that is lawlessness through the body. If you have this idea that that our body is evil, that our flesh is wicked, that that there's no good thing in it, it, it seems to make sense that when we go to do evil, we're just giving it what it naturally likes. It's like a guy, not that I'd ever known this guy, but it, it's like a guy that starts diets on Monday. And he reasons in himself, it's 12 o'clock at night, he's already had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and fourth meal. And now he gets up at night, and he goes down to the refrigerator, he pulls out the ice cream, and he says, I might as well give it what I already want, because it's, it's already overweight, and I can start a diet on Monday. If we think meanly of our flesh, we'll become lawless through the body. If we are but a machine... If we are just a sexual object, not made in the image of God, we will give ourselves to these extremes. And let me just, let me just put the cookies down where, where they belong this morning. The grace of God does not give me license to live as I please. The grace of God gives me license to do everything that pleases God. The grace of God doesn't mean I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven and I can live as I please and do as I please and do with my body as I please. Paul says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which you have of God and you're not your own. Ye are bought with a price. And beloved, let me just say this morning, what I do with my body is what I'm doing with the stewardship that God, this body belongs to God. Every part of it belongs to God. I encouraged you last week to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated. Lord, to to Thee, take my feet and my hands and my lips and my eyes and, and my ears and consecrate my body to Thee. So what's the solution to these extremes? The solution is to understand that the body and the flesh are not the same. My body was created to serve and glorify God. My body was made to sing His praises. My body was given me to protect and comfort my wife and love my children and provide for them. This is the purpose of the Christian body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, 
but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God hath raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His own power. God is not anti-body. God is pro-body. He accepts our body as a living sacrifice. As a matter of fact, we learned that God gave His own Son, the Lord Jesus. He gave to His Son a body, a body through which the Son would redeem fallen man to Himself. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5 says, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. I talked to you last week on the value of the body. I want to talk to you this morning on a very serious subject. I want to talk to you about the degradation, the destruction of the body. The destruction of the body. I want us to see in our Bibles this morning in 1 Kings chapter number 18, a nation at a crossroads. The nation of Israel at a crossroads. By way of illustration, if I could use this side of the auditorium, to represent Elijah and Jehovah and the true nation of Israel. And if I on this side of the auditorium could express this is Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Baal and the false Israel of God. True professors of faith in Jehovah and those that had denied Jehovah and brought idol worship into their country. And Elijah on this day comes before the two factions of people, and says to them, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. And it was on that day that Elijah prepared and he he proposed a, a standoff of sorts. He said that both of us will build an altar upon the top of this mountain and and we will each go and we will pray to our God, and whosoever God answers by fire, let him be worshipped by the whole nation. He had such confidence in Jehovah God, he allowed the other side to go first. Notice what your Bible says here, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 24. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods and put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from the morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which, they, which was made. It came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. His second language was sarcasm, wasn't it? He mocked them, and, and he said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. Verse 28 is, to where I call your attention, and they cried aloud and cut themselves. 
after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. It came to pass when the midday was past and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And verse 30 says, He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He prepared the altar. He set the sacrifice. He doused the sacrifice with water. And in 63 words, he prays and God sends fire from heaven. Verse 28 makes an interesting comment for us about the physical bodies of the worshipers of Baal. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. Some of you obviously represent a different generation than mine. I'm getting to a certain age that there's some knuckleheads and smart alecks in my Sunday school class that make it well known that they're in a younger generation than I am. But to our senior saints, I want you to know the country that our young people are growing up in today resembles nothing of the country that you inherited. I'm quoting from an article from the New York Times in 2019. Up to 30% of teenage girls in parts of our country say that they have intentionally injured themselves without aiming to ultimately take their lives. 30%. About one in four adolescent girls deliberately harmed themselves in the previous year by cutting or burning compared to about 10% in boys. I use that to say from this passage, the prophets of Baal, hear this carefully, were seeking to release the pain inside by causing pain on the physical body. Not realizing, I hope you're with me, not realizing that Internal pain can never be resolved through harming, disfiguring, changing, or surgically altering the body. In the Christian worldview of which I speak, everyone who is a human is a person. And everyone who is a person has value. And that value comes from God. I want to say that again. In the Christian worldview, everyone who is a human is a person. And everyone who is a person has a body, and everybody has value, and that value comes from God. Sadly, however, we see in the world today a full dishonoring of the body and a perversion of the body's design. If you can go with me to the book of Romans in chapter number 1. I come not to this passage to condemn, and may I encourage you as God's people, do not take someone to Romans chapter 1 in order to condemn them. Take them to Romans chapter 1 to reveal to them their need of salvation. And then get them to chapter 3 where there is a deliverer whose name is Jesus, and to chapter 5, one in whom we can have peace with God. Don't use the Bible as a weapon against people that are not like you. Use it as a roadmap to salvation. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 
You say, yeah, pastor, but I'm not guilty of those sins in chapter 1. Well, you are when you get to verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now back to regularly scheduled programming. Verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Notice, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To dishonor their bodies. The word here is atimazo. It means to treat shamefully, to abuse. I looked up that word and found the root of it is teme. It means to worship. So it's the opposite of caring for or reverencing the body, they, they anti-worship, they destroy, they desecrate their own temple, their own bodies. The LGBTQIA plus activist in the world today, he downplays the body. He defines us only by our sexual desires and our, our personal feelings. Well, they speak as if they have no body at all. They act like their bodies give them no reference point as to answer the questions of their own basic identity. We have a very educated woman sitting on our Supreme Court ask a question about sexual preference, and her answer was, I'm not a biologist. How shameful we are. Depends on what the definition of is is, doesn't it? Oh, how we've changed the meaning of words. We've, we've changed millennia-long understanding of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and the fact that men and women exclusively have children. John MacArthur said, There is no such thing as transgender. You are XX or XY. That's it. God made male and female that is determined genetically. That is physiology. That is reality. This notion you are something other than your natural biology is a social construct intended as an assault on God. He said, I was just reading an article by R.C. Sproul in which he said the greatest revolution in American history was neither the American Revolution or the Industrial Revolution. It is the sexual revolution. The problem of buying into this is that it is a kind of personal attack. It is literally the end of your existence in the way that God designed you to be. And I want you to hear me very carefully. God made you. God created you in His image. He created you as a male or female. And to fight this basic identity is to be in open rebellion against God. We see in the world today a heartbreaking dysphoria, an amazing confusion, fluidity taking place. And allow me to say this, you will never ease your inner pain. You'll never calm the inner storm. You will never come to be at peace with who you are until you come to the feet of Jesus Christ, your Creator, and confess Him as Lord and own His sovereignty and power in what He created you to be. In 1973, America ideologically was changed forever. 
Somebody tell me what happened in 1973. Roe v. Wade was decided in the Supreme Court, and it is the philosophy underneath the ruling that I bring to your attention this morning. Before Roe v. Wade, when someone said human being or person, you knew that they meant the same thing. A human being is a person, and a person is a human being. Every human being had what we call personhood. The 1973's landmark ruling, the Supreme Court ruled differently. The now famous ruling found that even though a baby in the womb is human, it is not protected under the 14th Amendment. Let me read the 14th Amendment, may I? No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor to deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protections of the law. So when we passed Roe v. Wade, we took personhood away from the body of a baby. Thus we created a new entity, the human non-person. And a new theology was born. It's called the personhood theory. And out of this split came the confusion of modern America. In 1973, we split the image bearer into parts. We took the body and separated it from the person. We took the person and separated them from what it means to be human. We've taken their facts and separated them from feelings. Rather than being a holistic union as God is Father, Son, and Spirit, indissoluble, we are spirit, soul, and body according to God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have four houses on the back of your bulletin. Will you fill these in? First... Floor, second floor. So we have the living space in the basement. We've separated man out. Let me illustrate. First of all, in the lower story we have the body. In the upper floor we have the person. The body is the human being, the expendable, the disposable. The machine. I come as a Bible preacher with a Christian worldview... I believe that man was given the breath of God. He became a living soul. I believe that. Some things that I would quabble about and disagree about, and there's some things that, that I would with, without apology forever stand on, and it's the Bible's truth that we are created as souls in the image and likeness of God, and we are eternal beings made in God's image. The body, though, they say is... The expendable, the disposable, the machine. But the upper floor is the person, the moral and legal one who has legal standing. This was the argument made in the last decade in the Supreme Court in the Obergefell case which legalized same-sex marriage. Same philosophy. They 
ruled that legal marriage has no objective connection to biology. Let me read that again. They ruled that legal marriage has no objective connection to biology. That the purpose of this new law was to protect personhood. Let me read the decision by Justice Kennedy. The right to marry is fundamental as a matter of history and tradition. Time out. It is fundamental to tradition and history as it has been in millennia's long agreement that marriage from the Bible is the union between a man and a woman. But rights, he says, come not from ancient sources alone. Father, help us. And this is the problem. Isn't this the problem? Your rights don't come from Washington. Your your rights don't come from the Supreme Court. Your rights come from God. And, And we will vote ourselves into oblivion by looking for people to protect us rather than somebody standing up and say, these rights have come to you from God Almighty. Read the American colonist who says to George III, we have no king but King Jesus. They rise too, he says, from a better informed understanding of how constitutional imperatives define a liberty that remains urgent in our own era. I hate to continue interrupting myself, but at what point do we continue to change the definition of marriage? I can't even tell you what I read as being legalized in Europe regarding people marrying animals. You think I'm crazy. If we don't stop and say, we need and we only function with a fixed point of reference, we'll be in violation of the whole book of Leviticus. Honey, I love you, but will you come and see me in prison when they lock me away? Just come and see me every weekend. Do do you mind to do that? All I'm espousing is what we believe for thousands of years. Many who deem same-sex marriage to be wrong reach that conclusion based on decent and honorable religious and philosophical premises. And neither they nor their beliefs are disparaged here. But when that sincere personal opposition becomes enacted law and public policy, the necessary consequence is to put the imprimatur of the state itself on an exclusion that soon demeans or stigmatizes those who own liberty is then denied. Notice this phrase. Under the Constitution, same-sex couples seek in marriage the same legal treatment as opposite-sex couples, and it would disparage their choices and diminish their, there's the word, personhood to deny them this right. But the Bible says that a human being is an embodied soul. A human being is a holistic, enfleshed person, spirit, soul and body, and their bodies are to, be to tr- are to be treated as the person themselves. Does our biology give us any direction? Does our biology give us any direction as to our gender identity? Yes. Number two, will you, will you write down science and theology? Won't take much time on this one. They split science and theology, meaning science is public, it's objective, it's valid for everyone. But faith, 
You know what they want to do? I'll tell you what they want you to do with your faith. We're not going to tell you. Oh, we're not going to tell you what you can believe. That would be, that would be tyrannical. That would be dictatorial. That, 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 that would be fascistic. By the way, you ought to watch the people calling people fascist. That's the fascist. Well, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you can only believe that in the, inside the four walls of your own house. Have you ever heard of a safe space on a public campus? Number three, I'm going to just be real plain with you this morning because I, I live in an objective world where, where kids need to be warned about the evils of this world. Can I talk quickly about the hookup culture? In the bottom floor, write physical. In the upper floor, write personal. In the physical, it's a sexual, physiological relationship. In the personal, there is mental and emotional relationship or feelings. You know what this generation has this idea? That they can have a transactional relationship without involving any feelings in the interaction, in the transaction. May I use that word? You get what you want, I get what I want in a physical way, and ne'er shall our emotions mix but you're sinning against your own constitution. You weren't made that way. Nancy Piercy quoted George Bernard Shaw, who from a 1932 play says, a character says, when men and women pick one another up just for a bit of fun, they find that they've picked up more than they bargained for. Because men and women have a top story as well as the ground floor. You can't have the one without the other. They're always trying to, but it just doesn't work. To which Piercy writes, regardless of what students brag about or tell to their friends, most are terrible at shutting out the emotional dimensions of sexual intimacy. Hear me and hear me well. The fact that it does not work out ought to tell us something. It means that this hookup culture rests on an inadequate conception of human nature. People are trying to live out a worldview that does not fit with who they really are. Because humans are created in God's image, the secular view will never match their actual experience. You know what we desire in life? We desire to be fully known and loved anyway. What is nakedness? To be fully known and accepted. My wife's been with me 20 years and she knows the good, the bad, and the ugly and I'm not sure which one outweighs the other. She knows me, but you know what? She loves me. And she accepts me for who I am. Listen to me. Everybody in the world wants that. But let me tell you something. There's only one way you ever get that. And it's found to the person of Jesus Christ and someone who knows God. I sat in my office one time. A young man came into my office and in torments. In torment. It's pretty shocking. Right, what happens right underneath our noses in Volusia County. It's amazing. It's awful. It's as dark as the charred walls of hell itself. 
And now he has a hopeless and disintegrated soul. What do you do? Let's go back. Let's go back to the original. And let's see the beauty of what God made. Can we do it God's way now? Let me give you the last one. In the bottom floor, will you write biology? And in the upper floor, will you write gender? Biology and gender. This is where we are today. Martin Luther, in essence, said, we can talk about everything uncontroversial, but if I don't stand up against what the devil is blowing and fomenting in my culture, I am not a faithful follower of Jesus. One person noted, this is who I am right now. That sounds silly. I know it does, but that's where we are today. Can, can I show you where we are today? Aaron, can you just give them to me one at a time? Go to the, go to the next slide. The dad who gave birth. I don't mean to insult your intelligence by trying to sell you something like that. Men can't give birth. Go to the next one. Uh, Leah Thomas, first transgender athlete to win Division I title. Go to the next one. Uh, this is from uh, University of California, uh, San Francisco, a list of gender-affirming surgeries, which, oh, by the way, were just outlawed in the state of the good state. May I say the great state of Tennessee? Last one. That's the leader of health and human services in our country. Does his, does his biology give him any reference points as to his gender identity? Can, listen to me. Doesn't your common sense tell you we're just playing a silly game here, aren't we? We're just playing a game. That game we're playing has led to the abortion of over 63 million babies. The game we're playing has led to the mutilation of the human body. A destruction of the design of the human body. I don't mean to be unkind and I don't mean to be salacious, but I have four kids. Can they stay pure and can they find spouses who kept themselves from being tainted by this culture? Does that not concern you? Because you're bought with a price. You're bought with a price. What are you worth? You're only worth what someone's willing to pay for something. What are you worth? Jesus gave his blood for you. That's how valuable you are. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that he presents your bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 6.13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God. I want to read a quote from Nancy Piercy. She said this. I want you to think about it. Christianity 
offers a genuine alternative to empty, pointless, to an empty, pointless cosmos, a world. It says, Christianity, we are not alone. The universe is meaningful, that we have intrinsic value, that sexuality has purpose and tell us that human community is real, that there is objective truth and goodness and beauty. Most of all, we are not products of mindless chance, but the creation of a loving creator. Each of us was loved into existence and have the high calling of inviting others into the astonishingly rich experience of living in a cosmos centered in love. I invite you into this idea. Yes, I'm a Baptist. I have a I have a systematic theology, but, but I'm a Christian. But better than that, not just a Christian, I have a view that affects everything I see in the world. And I just want to spike the football and say, our worldview can't be beat by anything that the world or Satan has to offer. It's Francis Schaeffer who concludes his book, He is there and he is not silent by saying, weep for our generation. Man made in the image of God and intended to be in vertical relationship with the one who is there and who is not silent and meant to have horizontal relationship and communication with his own kind has become, because of his own rationalism, making himself autonomous, come to this place. So I want to, I want to invite you into four decisions today. Maybe you've made one and you need to make the next one. Maybe you've made two, you need to make the third one. Maybe you've made the three choices and you need to make the fourth. Number one, number one, will you acknowledge the emptiness of life without God by acknowledging that He is? Will you acknowledge that there is a God? The alternative is emptiness and and a wasted life. Will you cry out, I believe there is a God. And I remind you this morning, I know that may sound silly for you for me to say something like that, but I remind you, you will never get a person to the cross without getting them to at least acknowledge there is a creator who created this world and them, there must be an acknowledgement that God is. Some of you, and with well-intended hearts, seek to speak to people about Christ who themselves do not even believe in the existence of God. And that which seems to be so self-evident to us, isn't it so there? Of course there's a God. Fight on the battlefield of ideologies. There is a God. Yes, there's a God. Number two, Will you acknowledge by faith that this same God made you? Will you acknowledge that? Can I go a step further? Will you acknowledge that and be grateful for His design? Now let's be honest. How many of you would acknowledge there's something about yourself you don't particularly like? Will you raise your hand? You're looking around the room trying to figure out who the egomaniacs are. Once they didn't raise their hands. Or maybe, maybe your friend, warts and all, have come to peace with God's design. Nobody's perfect, but we're all loved by God. 
Number two, will, will you acknowledge by faith that that God made you? Number three, will you invite this God into your life by recognizing your need of atonement for sin? Will you invite that creator into your life and turn to him by faith? And acknowledge he is Savior and acknowledge him as Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This God that is, this God that made you, it took him, I said this a moment ago, it cost God two things. When God made man of the dust of the ground, he breathed into him his breath and man became a living soul. When God made your body, when God made man, it cost him his breath. But man has sinned against God, but God has provided a way for men to come to be at peace with him. And in doing so, it cost God his very blood. Will you turn to him by faith? Number four. Will you present your body as a living sacrifice to his service? Hey, listen. Some of you and all of you that have been here in this series really have no excuse before God. I have no excuse before God. I can't stand at the judgment seat now and say, God, I didn't know. God, I wasn't told. You have been told the purpose of your body. We've been warned about abusing our bodies, separating our soul from our body, making moral choices not in alignment with how God created us to be. You've been warned and you cannot be happy. And you won't be happy unless you live by God's design. I've known a lot of unhappy people in my life. How many of you have known a very unhappy person? Will you raise your hand? I've known a lot of very unhappy people. I know I feel this way. I think I'm right. I may be wrong, but I, I, I know I feel this way. The most unhappy people I've ever met in my life have tasted of the goodness of God, have known His blessings, and have walked away from that which they knew to be true. That's a miserable person. It would be better to have never tasted it and not known what you're missing in your life than to live and bask in the blessings of God and to walk away. You will not find peace in this world system, you'll only find it in Christ. And I invite you, I invite you to Him today. May we pray.